Happy Wednesday. Welcome into NSN Daily. Chris Murray and Brian Samudio with you. Uh, busy, busy day, and I uh, hope you're not going to get snowed in. Uh, depending on what time you're catching this show, it's either pre or post Nevada and Santa Clara. But we're going to also check in with um, Joanna McWilliams down at Kirkwood, where it is nuking. <laughs> I'm being told it's nuking. Nuking or but puking? Nuking. With I, think, an I think the snowboarder bums call it puking, don't uh, they? Do they call it? She no. said nuking in the email, okay. but, but maybe it was just a, a missed keystroke. Uh, but uh, apparently they've gotten over seven feet in seven days. Wow. They opened with 100 acres of property. Now there's about 500 acres of property open. So uh, this latest storm absolutely pummeling the Sierra in a very good way. Um, Nevada had a decommitment uh, on, the, on the football side. and This is my surprise face. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, but uh, we're going to talk about that. And uh, bowl champions is where we think Nevada is going to go in a bowl game. And of course, it's Wednesday. That means Murray's oh, yeah. mailbag. How long did it take you this time? A long time. This is a big one. Yeah, they're all big. I mean, well, after a fight, I mean, you, you're, yeah. you're going to get a lot of questions. So this was a big one. Uh, probably took me five to six hours. So uh, I did wish in the mailbag that Santa, my gift for Christmas, is that he'll write the mailbag for me from now on because it does take. A he while. he's a kind, jolly old soul, <laughs> but I don't think he's that. Not a kind. good writer. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we can do that. Let's start off with us. Santa Clara, the game it's going to be aired on our on our broadcast tonight at seven o'clock. Pre-game at six thirty. Um, Santa Clara comes in. You've got five about five guys, six guys that almost average double figures. Mm -hmm. um, they spread the ball around. They, they spread do. the ball around inside and out, but a couple of big guys. And they don't play a lot of guys a lot of minutes. I mean, you're looking at 25 minutes at most for their players, so you don't really know who's going to hurt you. They don't have one guy yeah. that you need to pinpoint. You look at their three-point shooting. They don't have anybody who has more than 16 made threes this season. Jazz Johnson has 32, so twice that. But they have seven different guys who make at least 35% of their threes. So that's kind of a tough challenge because uh, you can't just say, okay, these are the two guys, three guys we need to stop, and we're going to have a lot of success. I do think the three-point line is huge in this game. I mean, you look at Nevada. Nevada's outscored its opponent by 78 points from the three-point line. Santa Clara has been even better. They've outscored their opponents by 90 points from three. So they're, mm -hmm. they're both at, very good at shooting threes, and they're both very good at limiting their opponents from making threes. They're both holding their opponents under 30% shooting in the 27-28% range. So uh, that'll be an interesting matchup, just who gets hot from three-point uh, range and, and who's able to defend that a little bit better. Uh, and then another little thing about Santa Clara is they're, they're a horrible offensive rebounding team, so they don't get a lot of second chances. But they're a great defensive rebounding team, top 25 in the nation, in limiting their opponent from getting a lot of offensive rebounds. So you're probably going to see uh, a lot of one possession kind of offensive performance. You're not going to see a lot of offensive rebounds. So uh, it should be an interesting game. I think if Nevada comes out and plays well, it's going to win this game by double digits. Santa mm -hmm. Clara with the 8-1 and one record, but as we noticed, uh, you know, not against the strongest schedule. So uh, I do think if Nevada comes out and plays well, that they're going to put another uh, W in the win column. You saw the big fella number 30 there. Great baseline move. Really good footwork. Uh, Googly Elmo Caruso. Mm -hmm. <laughs> who's out of Italy is a 6'11 sophomore from Italy, averaged about 11 points a game. They do have some bigs on this team. I don't think we're going to see the type of talented bigs that Nevada saw against Utah or USC. But uh, here's head coach Steve Alford talking about the matchup against Santa Clara. On Wednesday, we're playing a very good team in Santa Clara who's 8-1. and Their only loss is Stanford. Um, they're playing Herb. Obviously, I've had a lot of respect for Herb over the years, and he's playing a lot faster than he normally does. And um, so they're an exciting team to watch. They're really good inside out. They're garden people. So this is a great challenge for us. Of course, uh, I don't want to say coach speak, but you get coach speak sometimes. They are eight and one, but you know the the only losses to Stanford, and yeah. you have a Pac-12 win over Washington State, who isn't really expected to be a world beater uh, this year. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think in the end, Nevada, you know, if they play well and they play the way that they have played in the last. 
you know, week or so, uh, I think uh, I think they are going to win this game by double figures. But the problem is Nevada's been off for eight days. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked and you heard from Jalen Harris yesterday who said, I wanted to get back from the island and in St. Thomas after they won the Paradise Jam and keep playing, keep playing. But then again, that's a kid who hadn't played yeah. since transferring. Well, that's a good sign because he was going through that foot injury as well. I mean, it tells me that the foot's really not bothering him anymore and he feels like he can go out there and play multiple games in a row. Uh, I mean, you do look at Santa Clara. A lot of the numbers are very impressive. Mm -hmm. It's just how much are those numbers based on the level of competition. I mean, they're shooting 59% inside the arc. That's the seventh best mark in the NCAA. So we talk about their three-point shooting being very good. They can also do a lot of damage around the basket, and I think that will be a big test for Nevada. You have that size. Uh, Nevada's you know, weakness is the front court. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen some good play from them uh, you know, among the forwards, but that is an area that really needs to uh, be very strong, that interior defense. And you look at Santa Clara's defense, they're holding opponents under 40% shooting. Uh, they're averaging 16 takeaways a game. I mean, they're forcing a lot of turnovers, and they're playing with a lot of aggression and pace. So uh, Nevada's been very good at not giving the ball away outside of that Davidson game, but that will be a test in this one. So yeah, uh, just the stats, uh, and, and clearly Steve Alford went over these, uh, tell you that Santa Clara is a really, really good team. Mm -hmm. We'll find out tonight whether those stats were just compiled against lower level opponents or whether this isn't actually you know a 20 25 win team in the uh, west coast conference uh, that's going to do some damage uh, you know in in the wcc i i feel it's a little bit more uh, the schedule is kind of mm -hmm. allowed for this start but you also look uh, at how they played against washington state and, and you know they, they can beat pretty good athletic teams washington state is under a first year coach so uh, that is a rebuild situation but whenever you beat a pac-12 team that's a good win and mm -hmm. you move forward and uh, you know they just went out and won a tournament themselves the Rail City uh, Classic as well. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's a game where Nevada does have to play pretty well. I don't think they can go out there and play an average game and they're going to go and roll over San Santa Clara. But if they do play well, if they play like they did in the Paradise Jam, wouldn't be surprised if you saw 15 to 20 points. Yeah, I, you, I don't want to keep pounding the schedule, but you, Notre Dame Day, Namur. I mean, yeah. you're talking about Southeast Missouri State, Denver University, Idaho State. This is a team that We'll find out, I think, a lot about themselves, Santa Clara, tonight mm -hmm. and once they get into West Coast Conference play, which is a, always a pretty good conference, top to, top, about top five. Um, they'll find out a lot about themselves once they hit there. But Nevada has been off for eight days now, uh, hopefully no rust. Jalen Harris, uh, we talked to him about coming home and getting a game at Lowell Event Center. This is first home game in a long time. Uh, how do you feel like this team is different for this home game as opposed to the last time you played at Lowell? Um, like I said, we just feel like we grew over this past this past ten game, ten day stretch that we were gone. You know, to be able to play on the road, uh, to get that experience, to play at neutral site games, to not have, you know, your fans here to support you. Like we we learned how to, to play together more, to to be one, and so we look to bring that here Wednesday, and to you know continue to grow. Have you liked the little break, the eight days off, or would you guys have just kept playing based on how well you were playing? Um. Personally, I would say I would want to play every day. Like, I didn't play last year at all. So that's a big, you know, I tell them all the time. I don't like the breaks, but it's good for us to get some time off and then to get back in the gym and just work on ourselves. Uh, Jalen, I know you're hungry, man, but you're going to want those legs come <laughs> February yeah. and March. But, uh, yeah, Nevada against Santa Clara tonight. It's going to be a 7 p.m. tip-off at Lawler Event Center. You can see it right here on Nevada Sportsnet. We will have the pregame show. Chris, myself, and Ethan O'Brien, the uh, Nevada legend and former Globetrotter, will join us here on the set, do a little pregame, halftime, and postgame show for you. So full wall-to-wall -wall coverage starting at 630 of Nevada and Santa Clara. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, talking about bowl games. Where do we think Nevada's going to land and a decommitment from the football team by a local? We'll have that and break it down coming up next.
Well, the pack is going bowling at 7 and 5. Just don't know where just yet. We've got kind of a pretty good idea of where we think they're going to mm -hmm. go, and you and I both think they're headed to the land of enchantment. Yeah, I would put my money on New Mexico, yeah. so I'm putting a bet on New Mexico. Bet on New Mexico. <laughs> Better no bet is usually Thursday, but we'll bet yeah. on New Mexico. So I looked at 11 projections uh, from national writers. Three of them going to Arizona Bowl, three of them going to New Mexico Bowl, three of them going to the famous Idaho uh, Potato Bowl, one the Cheez-It Bowl, and one the oh, Armed Forces hold on. Bowl. Let me interrupt you there for a second. Three writers said they're going to go back to the Arizona Bowl again. Not only back-to-back -back years, but it would be the third time in four years. Years. Come on, so, those are guys that aren't even. Well, that's the thing. A lot, of, yeah, a lot of these, uh, you know, writers probably aren't looking at the history of, of where teams have gone. So just I, I would so cross hard. off the Arizona Bowl. I'd obviously cross off the Las Vegas Bowl. I'm mm -hmm. crossing off the Hawaii Bowl unless Hawaii goes out and wins the Mountain West Championship right. and opens that bowl up. So I think you're really looking at two bowls. You're looking at the famous Idaho Potato Bowl or you're looking at the New Mexico Bowl if Nevada's going to go to one of the Mountain West affiliated bowls. And to me, it makes a lot more sense to send Utah State to the uh, famous Idaho Potato Bowl because yeah. Utah State has not played there in three or four years. They did not play in Boise this year. The game against the Broncos was in Logan. Uh, and then you look at the fact that it's about six hours away. So you're right. probably going to travel better. Uh, and their team has tended to travel better in Nevada's to bowl games. And that's a, that's a, a thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, Nevada's probably not going to get the best bowl because they don't have a history of traveling the bulls and, right. and bulls look at that so I'm guessing New Mexico but there are a lot of options out there I mean beyond the three that we kind of mentioned the famous Idaho potato bowl the Arizona bowl and the New Mexico bowl I wouldn't completely rule out the, the Cheez-It bowl mm -hmm. the big 12 uh, did not have enough bowl spots for all of their bowls uh, so that is probably going to open up to the Mountain West maybe the Armed Forces Bowl uh, opens up I think Air Force is going there but yeah. Air Force is really pushing for a better bowl they're in the top 25 right now they're 10 and 2 they want to be able to get to a bowl that's not a Mountain West affiliated bowl. So there's some uh, other options out there, but New Mexico's not certain, but I have a pretty good feeling that it's going to be New Mexico. Yeah. Let's say two out of every three times, I think it's going to be New Mexico. There could be a curveball, though. I mean, yeah. obviously, you could see, you know, an Air Force, you know, somebody looks and goes, hey, that's a that's kind of a, a sexy name this year, and maybe we want to match them up with somebody and, and take them somewhere. But, yeah, it's it's interesting when you, when you look at this and try and analyze, okay, who's going to go where? I had a fan – a couple of years ago, say, well, why doesn't San Diego State play in the, the what was the Poinsettia Bowl and then the San Diego Credit Union Bowl? Yeah. Why do they play there every year? They're going to sell a ton of tickets. Well, they may sell a ton of tickets, but they're not going to sell hotel rooms. Yeah. And bowl committees do that. They look into that and go, okay, who's going to sell hotel rooms and who's going to bring in money to the community? If you Lots of times they'll overlook a team or go, no, we're going to send somebody somewhere else if uh, if the cards fall that uh, fall where they may. We think it's going to be Sunday afternoon when this is finally announced. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they'll announce the college football playoff rankings, and then they'll be able to kind of slot teams into the bigger bowls, and then the little bowl, smaller bowls will be able to trickle out. But there's a lot to be determined on Saturday. You have yeah. Boise State playing Hawaii. If Hawaii wins that game, it screws everything up. Right. Because then they're going to the Las Vegas Bowl. That means the Hawaii Bowl opens. Then where does Boise State go? And vice versa, in the American Athletic Conference, you have Memphis going against Cincinnati. Now, right. if Cincinnati wins that game, Boise State probably moves into the New Year's Six Bowl that the group of five is designated as having. So that opens up the Las Vegas Bowl as well. So things are going to change. So based on what happened Saturday, that's going to dictate what we see on Sunday. So if it's uh, kind of chalk, if Boise State wins and Memphis beats Cincinnati, then I do think Nevada goes to the New Mexico Bowl. If one of those two results changes, uh, then there's a good chance that that just messes everything mm -hmm. up. So it will be fun to kind of track the games on yeah. Saturday uh, and then on Sunday. Yeah, it should be sometime around maybe one or two. Nevada is holding uh, end of the season kind of banquet around two o'clock and they want to talk about the bowl. So they're expecting it to at least be uh, before the two o'clock mark. So you shouldn't have to wait too long. Um, but I, yeah, I'm guessing it is probably, you know, one of the Mountain West affiliated bowls. Mm -hmm. there, there is an interesting situation because there's seven Mountain West bowl eligible teams for five spots. Now that's not including the Hawaii Bowl, which is actually not a Mountain West bowl this season. 
but it sounds like Hawaii will end up going to that bowl if they lose. So uh, there is a chance that they get shipped to none of these bowls that we're even talking about. That's right. kind of the interesting thing. But they are going to a bowl for sure. There are 79 bowl eligible teams for 78 spots. They're not going to pass over a seven win team as that one team that's not getting in. So it'll probably be a MAC team. It could be Toledo that doesn't get a bowl spot. But, you know, Nevada knows that it's going bowling and it's going to get a chance to kind of rewrite the end of the season. If they go out and win a bowl, is that going to change what happened against UNLV for many fans? No. I mean, mm -hmm. people are still going to be very upset about that game. Uh, and some might call it a, a disappointing season just because the canon is still going to be red. Uh, but I think at least for the seniors and for the players, they get a chance to kind of change uh, the end of their season uh, and maybe feel a little bit better heading into the offseason. No, back to back eight win seasons is nothing to sneeze at. I think, and unfortunately, that the taint is the is that canon not being uh, not being up north. But yeah, you mentioned Hawaii maybe staying home. That's kind of the exception to the rule that I was just talking about. Is the Hawaii usually kind of does stay home. That's it's usually kind of their their triggers. They get to six games and that's automatic. Oh, it's mm -hmm. going to be here. But Hawaii with a much improved season this year under Nick Rolovich, and I think they can beat Boise State. I don't know if they will, but I think I think they certainly can beat Boise State. That Memphis Cincinnati game though, that's going to be great yeah. television because those teams do not like each other. And it was fun watching the last matchup. This should be a great Saturday. And that will be interesting teams. to look at from the Mountain West perspective because you're talking about if Cincinnati goes out and beat Memphis, both of those teams are going to have two losses. Mm -hmm. And the AAC commissioner is already arguing that if we have a two-loss team, they deserve to be in front of a one-loss Mountain West team. If, if And it could happen. I mean, you look yeah. at where they're ranked right now, Cincinnati is only one spot behind Boise State. So yeah. if they beat Memphis, which is two spots ahead of Boise State, the Cincinnati jump they, over Boise State probably. because Boise State beating Hawaii is not going to do much for the selection committee. Right. I think if that happens, then the Mountain West should be very, very upset that they would have an 8-0 team, uh, Boise State, during the regular season. Uh, they go out and they beat Florida State on the road, which is a uh, you know a Power 5 program that's usually pretty good that's going to a bowl. Uh, and then they get leapfrogged by a team in the AAC with two losses. Yeah. Uh, I would be very, very upset, and that would impact Nevada as well. I mean, I don't, I don't think Nevada fans want to root for Boise State, but if Boise State gets into that New Year's Six Bowl, Nevada gets $333 thousand yeah. dollars uh, that's a lot of money uh, so you probably want to be rooting for Cincinnati to be able to upset Memphis and for Boise State to get to that New Year's Six Bowl, it could open up a better bowl slot for Nevada, but it's also going to give them a, a pretty good chunk of money. I mean, a third of a million of dollars. Hope you were taking notes. Chris has now told you who to root for <laughs> on Saturday. Should be just a lot of fun to track these games. We are tentatively scheduled to uh, talk with Jane Orville for Wolfpack All Access on Sunday, and uh, so we're hoping to have that for you Sunday night and have a discussion of, of the bowl game. Sticking with the gridiron, um, this is not really surprising. This was an early commitment from uh, Vicajo Lightenbacker from Bishop Minogue. Very talented young man who has just kind of caught fire a little mm -hmm. bit. He's got a Pac-12 offer from Colorado. He's got an SEC offer from Tennessee. And yesterday on Twitter uh, made the announcement that he is decommitting uh, from the University of Nevada. Um, actually put a quote out there saying that, quote, if you don't get out of the box that you've been raised in, you won't understand how much bigger the world is, end quote. I don't know who said that, but mm -hmm. I get that. I get that. Um, and then he says uh, he's decommitted from University of Nevada, Reno. Uh, only God can judge me. I am who I am. But uh, I don't blame him for keeping it open. And and but at the same time, I look at his Twitter page, and I'm not trying to look into too much. But there's you know, it's still got the banner of him going to Nevada. There's a his profile picture is in a Nevada jersey. But if you scroll down a little bit, 
Tennessee coaches were in Reno this week. And apparently they took them to IHOP? I, that's what Kenzie said. Oh, I, mean, I, I didn't not, recognize the that's building. That's not SEC money. <laughs> you took the kid to IHOP? Well, I mean, pancakes are very I mean, good. It is, it is I delicious. mean, people should not blame him for potentially going to Tennessee or Colorado if that's his final choice. Yeah. I think people can be a little upset that he did give an oral commitment and that he didn't stick by that. That's not unusual in recruiting, no. but when you have a local kid say, I'm going to play for the University of Nevada, I'm going to stay home, uh, and then you change that, I could see some fans being upset. That makes sense. Uh, maybe he shouldn't have made that commitment quite so early, mm -hmm. but people make decisions, and uh, you know sometimes they have to turn around and change that. I mean, that decision was made in June. Yeah. You know, he didn't have a Colorado offer. He didn't have a Tennessee offer, so that does change some things. Uh, I do think it's not the greatest thing for Nevada. I mean, the Nevada, Northern Nevada is creating so many more Division One players, so many more FBS players. Uh, Jay Norvell is wrapping up his fourth recruiting class here at Nevada. He has not yet signed a Northern Nevada kid in one of his recruiting classes. Now he's gotten Caden Bennett, who ended up walking on after going to Boise State, and there's, uh, you know, he's done a really good job taking walk-ons and mm -hmm. potentially shifting some of those guys into scholarship players if they go out there and earn it. Uh, but you're talking about three, four, five Division One players coming out of Northern Nevada every single year now, uh, and they're just not staying home. And I don't know if that's a commentary on how they feel about the Wolfpack or just a commentary like Bai said about, uh, you know, I want to go experience something. Yeah. I want to be able to grow. I want to be able to go, uh, you know, kind of build my legacy somewhere else and kind of see if I can play at the top level of college football. Because a lot of these kids are getting Power 5 offers. You have guys going to Michigan, to Oregon, to USC, potentially to Tennessee. Uh, it's a lot harder to keep those kids at home mm -hmm. than if you're going against San Diego State, Utah State, you know, UNLV, things like that. So, uh, you know, really great that they're getting these offers, but also kind of, you know, sad that Nevada's not able to keep them home because these kids, uh, you know, I think they would really boost not only attendance, but mm -hmm. I think they would really boost, okay, if, if a couple of kids do it, then maybe other kids look at Nevada and say, you know, I don't have to go to a Power Five if I get that offer. Some yeah. of my friends are staying home and playing here, and I want to stay with them and kind of build something great here. So uh, I personally don't blame Vi. I probably would have advised him not to make that commitment if he was still open, and he was still open as soon as he made the commitment. He didn't really, you know, say it's 100%. Right. I'm not going to change right. my mind. He was pretty open about that with the staff and with us. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just a disappointing result for the Wolfpack because they had had this commitment for a mm -hmm. long time and then you get about two weeks away from signing day and then you lose it right at the end. All right, we'll keep an eye on what happens with uh, a talented linebacker Vi Cajo out of Bishop Nug High School. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, we'll dip deep into the mailbag. Hmm, what do people want to talk about this week? Hmm, might be UNLV and Nevada, a lot of that. And as in daily rolling on here on your Wednesday, and every Wednesday we uh, put out Murray's Mailbag. Every Sunday, you're kind enough on Twitter to uh, reach out to the masses and go, all right, at Murray NSN, fire away with your uh, your questions. And um, let me see, uh, 24 hours, less than 24 hours after Nevada yeah. and UNLV <laughs> throw fisticuffs at Mackey Stadium, uh, that thing filled up quick. Yeah, that was the gist of most of the yeah. questions is yeah. uh, what's going to come after this, and uh, we'll see. We obviously haven't gotten anything uh, handed down yet in terms of suspensions, but uh, should have some by the end of the week, I would think. Yeah. Uh, if not today, probably tomorrow. All right, let's start off with PacFan21, uh, always a good contributor to the mailbag. What kind of sanctions do you think will be handed out yeah. after the fight uh, for the fight after the game? I mean, there has to be suspensions, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's why this is taking so long, as they're trying to get every single angle on all of these incidences. The big question for me is what happens to a kid like Austin Arnold. Obviously, Austin threw the first shove, punch, whatever you want to call it, right the blind there. side from behind. Uh, so he's got to go for multiple games. Now, I'm not taking anyone's scholarship or things like that. Yeah, uh, yeah there was some stupidity displayed on the field, but I'm not going to end someone's college career over it. Uh, you even look at the UNLV player who swung his helmet at a Nevada fan in the stands. Uh, you know, again, multiple games, uh, four or five games maybe, but I would not take a kid's scholarship 
uh, just based on this one action. So I think you're going to see multiple suspensions. I think anybody who threw a punch needs to be suspended. Yeah. Uh, you can't throw a punch on a football field. And if that's the case, then you're going to see a number of people not playing for their next game because there were a lot of people throwing punches. Yeah. Uh, that's just what, what ended up uh, transpiring. So uh, I'm also curious to see what happens to any of the fans. If Nevada is able to identify the guy who came down onto the field or the guy who ripped the helmet off the UNLV player, I would toss them for life. I'm yeah. not having you come back to Mackey Stadium because I can't trust that you're going to act in a responsible way because you didn't in this circumstance. So, uh, yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of suspensions. I think you're going to see, uh, you know, uh, far more than your public reprimand, which you usually see. And we, we've seen this from the Mountain West. There's been fights in, in men's basketball and women's basketball, and there's been suspensions as well. So, uh, yeah, I think you're going to see multiple players uh, getting tossed for the bowl game. And that that's also a curious factor is do you suspend them for the bowl game? Mm -hmm. Do you suspend them? For next season, do you spend them for the next Mountain West game? Uh, the Mountain West has a lot to sort through with this situation. It's crazy. You Really, we've dealt into this video and slowed it down and kind of look at everything. You saw bottles thrown, your water bottles or beer cans thrown. I actually, and it's snowballs. I actually saw number 90 in that video for UNLV. Looks like he reaches up and gives a cell phone back to a fan yeah. in the stands. And you know what? Well, kudos to you. Uh, I'm going to look up and find that because I just saw it once again and I hadn't planned on talking about it. But uh, yeah, here's your phone back, sir or ma'am. Thank you very much. Uh, staying on the uh, the rivalry game, uh, Frank at Mug Tank, uh, any chance they would move the Nevada UNLV game to Nevada Day weekend? He thinks it would be better that weekend. Yeah, uh, I'm actually going to write a column on that's what they need to do. I mean, you look at Nevada's last two games at home against UNLV. They drew 16,000. They drew 17,000. This last year's game was the lowest attended since 1987. Uh, that's a long, long time. Uh, Nevada's game at UNLV last year was the lowest attended in the rivalry in Las Vegas since 1983. Woof. So you're setting historic records in the lack of attendance for this game. And I'm not saying it's 100% on the date. Uh, but why not try something new? Because playing it on the last game of the regular season is just not working in terms of selling out the arenas. And Nevada needs to sell out UNLV. They need to sell out Boise State. They're struggling to get big crowds, 20,000 plus, for uh, the majority of their opponents. You can't have a UNLV game with only 16,000 fans. Yeah. That just hurts you so much in the pocketbook. So, yes, I would move it to Nevada Day weekend or at least put it up for grabs to wherever the Mountain West wants to put it. So how it currently works, each school is allowed to kind of place one game at a specific date that they want it to be played. And both Nevada and UNLV have agreed to play it during the traditional rivalry week, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, but that just hasn't worked. Uh, yeah. I mean, the students are out of town, so I understand that. You have a lot of families probably out of town uh, visiting others. So uh, they need to change the date and see if that's going to help boost this attendance back to some of the marks we saw in the 1990s and the early 2000s. Yeah, whether it's Nevada Day or not, I think we've really seen that the Thanksgiving weekend just doesn't work um, when it comes to this uh, this matchup. John W. Mackey at John W. Mackey 1908. Uh, which injured player on Nevada's roster could have made the biggest difference against UNLV? I think it's a landslide. Yeah, it's Romeo Dubs. Yeah. I mean, Romeo is a playmaking player. He was playing great over the last five, six games, uh, and then he misses the game with a shoulder injury. He injured his shoulder, scoring a touchdown against Fresno State. And Nevada had to rely so much on Elijah Cooks, and Elijah played really, really well, but they targeted him 19 times. That is a huge amount of targets uh, for one player and UNLV was able to kind of take him away a little bit later in the game. Now Dominic Christian stepped up. He had 11 receptions. His previous career high, a senior, uh, was three. So he really did try and step up, scored a touchdown in place of Dubs. But Dubs is somebody you have to game plan against. And if you have both Cooks and Dubs on the field at the same time, it's exceptionally difficult to be able to take both of those guys out. So I think if he plays in this game, Nevada wins the game. Yeah. But UNLV can say that as well. UNLV was down yeah, three or four wide receivers season. as well. Uh, so it's not like it's that easy. You can say, okay, if you just add this one player, well, UNLV would like to add some players as well, but Nevada being without Romeo Dubs 
uh, probably change the outcome of this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's difficult to see because you want to, yeah, I want to see both teams at full strength, but it's the, it's the end of the season. I mean, it's what happens in football. Nevada's decimated in a number of positions, as is every team across the country. Uh, Keegan Engel, uh, with our entire linebackers core graduating this season, is that going to be the biggest weak spot in next season, or is there another group that's going to be weaker? Let's be positive. I mean, <laughs> well, on. that's probably the one with the fewest returning experience production. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're just looking at it in terms of is that weak because we don't know exactly who's going to step in there, yes. I mean, Nevada's losing uh, four of their top five linebackers. They're losing Gabriel Sewer, Lucas Weber, Kyle Adams, Malik Brody, the only starter uh, that they're bringing back is Lawson Hall. So uh, that is a big question mark moving forward. I think Nevada actually has some pretty good talent uh, at the linebacker position. You look at Trevor Price, you mm -hmm. look at Torre, you look at Giovanni Miranda, you look at uh, Josiah Bradley. Like yes. These are pretty talented athletic guys who are underclassmen who I think are ready to step up and be good players, but there's going to be a learning curve. We saw that with Nevada's secondary this season is, uh, you know, Austin Arnold, Tyson Williams, they got better as the season went along, but at the beginning of the year, they were giving up a lot of yards. So uh, I do think that group will be pretty stable uh, toward the end of the season because I think there is good talent there. Um, but there's going to be a, a quite a bit of a learning curve just because there is no experience to that position. So that, to me, is clearly the position, even on offense and defense, that you point at and just say, okay, there's going to be a lot of unknown names that are going to have to step up. You bring up two names that I absolutely love and what I've been seeing so far development is Lamentore and Giovanni Miranda, two big linebackers who, who I think uh, down the line are, are going to end up being leaders on this team. Uh, how about golf question? Uh, Lido at Tee It Up Again. I was driving by the old DeAndrea golf course. I saw a few people working at the course. Any news of opening it again? Uh, not that I know of. I mean, I've heard so many rumors because I used to live on the course and I tried to hold out until they would reopen it. I heard that they were going to turn it into a winery. Mm -hmm. uh, I've heard a number of things in the latest rumor that I had heard that they were going to turn it into a nine-hole course. Uh, I have no evidence of that. And yeah. I think the, the clubhouse burning down really was kind of the final straw for me because now you have to rebuild a clubhouse as yeah. well. It's not just building a course. So. Uh, I don't have any direct evidence. I haven't spoken to anybody who has for sure, for sure told me that it's coming back, so I don't know why people were out there. Um, but it's such a beautiful property. I, I do hope that something comes there, uh, whether it's a golf course or not, because it is, uh, you know, it's in a great part of town. It was a beautiful course. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame that that's this what it is looks tragic. like now. Uh, I used to live right on a, a part three that was kind of surrounded by a lake. And, it, it, yeah, it was just amazing. It was so undulating. It was mm -hmm. a really fun course to play. Um, but, I mean, they are still building a ton of homes out there. I yep. mean, you go out there, they're building all the way up the mountain. So I think they would like to bring something back to kind of boost up the, the neighborhood values. Uh, I just don't personally think it's going to be a golf course. I miss that course so much. That was my favorite course in the city. It's tough to beat Edgewood or something like that. But uh, D'Andrea, that was I, I played that course a couple of times a week mm -hmm. back in my 20s. It was like I, I just loved playing that golf course, and it was it was a lot of fun. I remember when Michael Jory was director of golf out there and running it, and it was top notch. The the uh, the clubhouse was beautiful. Attended a couple of weddings there, mm -hmm. and then. Suddenly, you know, everything panned out the way it panned out. I did speak with a, a, a professional in town today or yesterday who is maybe the highest ranking PGA uh, director of golf in the market. And um, he told me that there are no plans, uh, that the water rights have been sold. It's not going to happen. And um, he said, unfortunately, seeing people out there may have been people, literally his quote was, harvesting sprinkler heads. People stealing sprinkler heads. He said people are walking out there and just taking stuff, yeah. which what are you doing? I mean, that's that's just against the law. But uh, at the same time, I the, what I my research is telling me no, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, I want to get to one. We'll go to a bonus question okay. here, a little extra credit. Um, Kenzie in the booth. 
um, scolded me in the last <laughs> break. She does that a lot, but I usually deserve it. Um, the Bills playing on Sunday night football for the first time since 2007. Yeah, they got flexed. Yeah. yeah them versus the Steelers, apparently. Four Bills. The, the Bills. Yeah, well, the, my, my argument is they saw how good the Bills are on the primetime game Thanksgiving against the Cowboys, absolutely drubbed Dallas, that they just needed more Bills out there. And the Bills are actually a pretty exciting team. I mean, mm -hmm. I, to me, they have the third best defense in the NFL uh, behind the 49ers and the Patriots. And Josh Allen's a pretty fun player to watch. Mm -hmm. I mean, his arm is ridiculous, and he's able to run the ball as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about that. We'll see if they can close the season strong. They actually have a chance of, uh, catching the Patriots and winning the AFC East. I think the Patriots have lost the AFC East like once in the last 20 years, yeah. uh, the year that Tom Brady got hurt. So, uh, yeah, if the Bills uh, are able to beat the Ravens this week, that Steelers game uh, next week becomes an even bigger deal. And she asked what the spread will be, and I said nacho bar. I don't know that. And, I'm, and that when she said spread, it wasn't, it wasn't oh, points. No. <laughs> it was what's going to be the spread at the Murray household. Yeah, so pizza and a nacho bar. I mean, that's like football food. Come on over. <laughs> I'm inviting everyone to your house. No, that sounds like fun, but uh, we're not going to be putting your address on TV. <laughs> Uh, and, oh, really? I, once I'm getting chirped at in my ear, Kenzie's saying that Lamar is better. Than Josh Allen? Yes. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, come on. I'm not saying Josh Allen That's is not like, an argument. Yeah, the Ken. best. And actually, there's a nice little Nevada link. Uh, Bill Tierlink, the former Nevada defensive line coach under Brian Pullian, mm -hmm. is a line coach with the Buffalo Bills. So I have corresponded with him a little throughout the season, yeah. and he's uh, very excited. I'm obviously very excited as well. Uh, I don't know that the Bills are a Super Bowl caliber kind of team. Yeah. Uh, but their defense is really, really good. And if Josh Allen's continue, uh, if he continues to grow, you know, maybe they're able to get to a divisional championship game or something like that. I don't know that they're going to be playing for the AFC. But, uh, you know, the Bills don't get to the playoffs very often. One playoff berth in the last 19 years. So them being somewhat good, 9-3, yeah. uh, has a lot of people uh, in the Buffalo fandom pretty excited. I literally know two people in the Buffalo fandom, and that's <laughs> you and Duke Williams. Because <laughs> Duke played for the Buffalo Bills, and he's got their back. Uh, the great former Nevada safety and high school graduate. So I'll, I'll be rooting for the Bills okay. until my Niners fish in the Super Bowl. <laughs> but uh, Niners got a long way to go before getting that. If you want to be part of the conversation, please do. It's at Murray NS. And please limit to, to one, maybe two <laughs> questions. But uh, everything's on the table. Uh, maybe ask how the uh, how the, the nacho the nacho <laughs> spread went. But uh, you want to go to Twitter, at Murray NSN. Follow them there. And uh, you can join the conversation every single Sunday night. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, it's getting new. Down at Kirkwood, we're going to talk with Joanna McWilliams with the resort. That's coming up next. Yep, we got snow on the valley floor. We got snow in the mountains, and uh, let's go straight to the site of the nuking. It's not <laughs> puking. It could be a, either way. Kirkwood is going crazy right now. Joanna McWilliams joining us from Kirkwood down on the mountain down south. Uh, seven Over seven feet in seven days, and it is still snowing, Joanna. Amazing. Yes, we open with 100 acres of terrain, and today we have 500 acres of terrain. So if you're thinking of taking a sick day and coming up to the mountains to join us, <laughs> I would suggest today as that day. <laughs> Don't suggest that to our staff because they already try and sneak out too many days on the mountain as it is. Not that there could no, be. I actually heard many. that a couple of people may have done that yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, I, was, I was doing some <laughs> investigative reporting. Ooh, you were digging deeper. <laughs> yes, I was digging deeper. Oh. Well, it's, it's good that HR, I, I got res in my ear going, I did work yesterday as well, because there is video, there is video evidence of three of our guys up at uh, Mount Rose yesterday. Over 500 acres open right now. Is that, uh, is it too early or is this really early for to be, you guys have that much open? You know, Kirkwood is blessed with great winter storms, so we open as much terrain as possible as soon as it's safe to do so. 
Um, early season conditions still exist, so we encourage everyone to take it easy, do some runs, your knees are going to be feeling it, come in, have a, a snack at the wall bar, and then go back out for some more. But, you know, definitely uh, pay attention to how you're feeling because it's awesome out there, but you're probably not in shape yet. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. And when it comes to our area, a, a storm like this coming in, I know the first wave that hit Tahoe was kind of the lighter powdery stuff, not what you want in the base. And then there was that wetter stuff that came in. Is that the same thing that hit Kirkwood? So you've got a great base to start with? Exactly, yeah. We have a 59-inch base right now, and obviously more snow is still falling. Um, this is definitely a heavier snow, so it's exactly the kind of storm that we want to form that great base for the rest of the season. Where does this kind of measure up to where you would typically be for early December? Do you guys have more snow than, than usual? I mean, it did seem like it started a little bit later, mm -hmm. but it's come pretty heavy of late. Yeah, um, I believe we do have more snow than usual. I'd have to check on that and get back to you guys. But uh, regardless of the historical data, it's definitely a good day to be out on the mountain. <laughs> Got some great video here that they were showing. Uh, what's been the response? I mean, I would imagine your parking lots are full. Yeah, we've got a busy mountain today, but um, lines are moving and we have so much terrain open that there really isn't uh, crowding. People are just out kind of looping and having a good time. Kind of looping and having a good time. So we're looping <laughs> and we're nuking and we're puking. It's been fantastic yeah. so far. Where do you see the future when it comes to Kirkwood? I mean, it's one of the premier resorts, not just here in the West, but in the country. What What's next? What could Kirkwood even do next? Yeah, you know, one of the really exciting things is the amount of incredible talent that's coming out of Kirkwood. We see people coming up through our ski school program um, and then becoming free skiers, becoming really known athletes. So for California and Kirkwood, we're excited to see that trajectory continue. And we definitely invite everyone to come out to our Kirkwood Deep Riders Award Ceremony on December 14th. We're going to be showing films and user-generated content from last season. And it's just going to be a really fun community event. And uh, 10 Barrel is going to be out there. So it'll get you stoked for the season. Joanna, before we let you go, what's, what's the website for where people can find information or maybe get the, those season passes? Yeah, exactly. You can go to Kirkwood.com. And uh, since you mentioned season passes, we did extend uh, the epic pass deadline. So if you haven't got yours yet, please do so. That's extended till December 2nd. Now that epic pass covers what resorts? Yeah, so uh, depending on the different passes you buy, it covers different resorts. So here in Tahoe, we have the Tahoe local and uh, value pass. And then we're also offering a new product for folks maybe down in Reno and Sacramento who know they're going to come up for five days. It's called the epic day pass. And so you can get savings on that and just sort of buy one pass two passes if you know how many days you're going to ski and you can use that at any of our three resorts here in Tahoe. Some epic nooping and looping and, <laughs> and all that stuff. Well, Joanne, I appreciate it very much. Thanks very so much for your time and uh, try and stay warm. Yeah, thanks guys. Enjoy. Oh, what a great start to our season. I know it was crazy because, you know, Alex even a week ago was just down in the dumps. And I'm, I'm like, how? You, you were in St. Thomas, man. But he was like, you're just not getting snow yet, not getting snow yet. And then Boom. Yeah. Talk about just a right hook to the jaw. Yeah, we needed it because it had been pretty warm for a pretty long period of time in November, one of the warmest Novembers that we've ever had. So uh, to be able to get all of this over the last basically 10 days, I think it gets you know the, the mountains and the resorts off to a really good start for the rest of the season. So uh, maybe it came a little bit late, but mm -hmm. I think everything is looking good as we head into you know Christmas time. And uh, hopefully it's a, it's a long, long winter uh, for the resorts. Uh, I'm not so in favor of it being mm -hmm. a long, long winter, yeah. but uh, I know our area needs it. So uh, you know, really positive to see uh, so much snow up there so quickly. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, the refs, when they get it wrong, 
they get it wrong. We'll show you this call coming up next. You know, it's hard to be an official at any level, and I'm going to say that before this happens. I mean, I, I recall being 15, 16 years old. I think I had my learner's permit and umpiring softball and getting yelled at for the first time and going, why are you yelling at me? You know, uh, and so you got to have a thick skin, but at the same time, you got to get it right. Yeah, you got to tell if a dunk goes through the basket. Let's go to San Antonio. <laughs> and I mean, the Houston Rockets in town playing the Spurs. James Harden goes, whoop. Reads the pass, takes off, easy breakaway, dunks it home. The ball comes back through the, almost goes back through the hoop twice. Now, now watch this again. Obviously, that's a basket. The ball com goes completely through the net, comes back out. But the refs initially say, no, it's no basket. But Chris, explain this to me because I was coming out here. Guns are blazing. Going, why did they review this? But well, it is reviewable. Have to, yeah, tell but me about I this. I guess yeah. you have a 30-second window to ask for the review, and yeah. they were so fired up arguing that they didn't ask for the review. They were just yelling at them. Right. Now, I don't know why the refs didn't say, okay, it appears that it may have gone through the basket. Let's go check on our own. Right. Uh, because it ended up being a, a crucial basket. Now, this was with about seven minutes to play, and I think the Rockets were already up 13 points, but this did end up going to double overtime. It was a two-point so final. Yeah, if that, if that goes in, maybe it doesn't go into overtime, and I know Houston is trying to uh, protest the game and trying to get a win out of it. I, I, don't, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, there were still seven minutes to play after that, and you're up by 13, but yes, the refs can't get this wrong, first of all, and second of all, they can't on their own just go say, let's take a look at this. Yeah. Because uh, if everybody's yelling at us that it went through the basket, it literally it'll take 10 seconds to look to see if it went through the basket right. or not. Swallow yeah. your pride a little bit, I mm -hmm. guess. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's just maybe. Yeah. End results, Harden had 50 points in the game, should have had 52. Spurs won in double OT, 135 to 133. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, some final thoughts. We've got the all-Mountain West football team that's being released. We'll have Chris's three keys and a prediction on Nevada and Santa Clara. That's coming up next. Welcome back to NSN Daily. A couple more thoughts before we let you go. Uh, All-Mountain West football team has been released, and um, a guy that we expected to make the first team, but then I don't want to say snubs, but uh, maybe some surprises down the line. Yeah, I mean, Don Peterson made the first team. He was the only Nevada player to make the first team. I think that was more than deserving. Mm -hmm. He was second in the Mountain West in tackles for loss, second in the Mountain West in sacks. The only guy he was buying was Curtis Weaver, who's going to be a first-round draft pick out of Boise State. He was the defensive player of the year. So uh, very good honors for Dom and, and very well-deserved. Brandon Talton was named second team All-Mountain West. That was a little sketchy for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I could see it. Uh, I mean, he was named a mid-season All-American by ESPN and the athletic he did have a little bit of a struggle in the second half of the season but you're still talking about a guy who made 18 out of 22 field goals he only missed two field goals inside of 50 yards uh, and then he made two field goals that won games yeah. and nobody else in the mountain west had even one of those so uh, you know i think that was a very big thing in my voting why i made brandon my first team pick and special team player of the year is he made a 56 yarder to win a game and a 40 yarder to win a game if he misses those two nevada's five and seven uh, potentially and not going to a bowl so yeah. uh, I thought that was uh, you know probably a little bit more deserving than that and then Daniel Brown didn't didn't make the first or second team mm -hmm. I had him on my first team uh, four interceptions this season he did miss a couple of games with a concussion so maybe yeah. that held him back a little bit um, but yeah only two honors for Nevada on the first and second team although they had a number of players on the honorable mention which basically means you got a couple of votes my, my disappointment there is Daniel Brown because I thought that Daniel Brown played well enough to be at least second team I think he's Nevada's top 
prospect for the NFL draft coming up this next season. Dominic Peterson uh, is not there yet. He's, we, Nevada's got him for a little while longer, but um, disappointing, but hopefully it, it uh, becomes tackling fuel or just yeah. whatever for <laughs> Daniel Brown, uh, just some inspiration of, uh, you know what, I'll prove you wrong. And plenty of times we see athletes go, you know what, you didn't believe in me, I believe in me, and it makes you work harder. Uh, Coach of the year, Nick Rolovich, yeah. and I, I think Nick Rolovich, for what he's done with Hawaii, deserves that. Yeah, I voted for him for my coach. There really were three deserving candidates. You could argue for Brian Harson. I mean, mm -hmm. Boise State goes 11 and one. They go eight and zero in the Mountain West. Uh, it's the first time since Kellen Moore was playing for the Broncos that they were undefeated in conference play. Uh, so he was more than deserving. Then you look at what Troy Calhoun did at Air Force. I mean, they were coming off back-to-back non-bowl seasons, five and seven seasons. Uh, and they go 10 and 2 this season. Their only two losses to Boise State and to Navy, both in the top 25, Air Force into the top 25 this week. Uh, so he was more than deserving as well. Uh, I voted for Rolovich because his situation that he inherited was so much worse than those two guys. You look at Boise State, they always win 10 games. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick Rolovich inherited a program that was horrible in the Mountain West, and he slowly built it up. And this is a one-year award. You're not supposed to take other considerations into it. Uh, but they go 9-4. and four. This is their first nine-win season since 2010. They win the West Division. They were picked to finish fourth in the West this season. Uh, they go out and they win the West. They were underdogs in more than half their games, and they go 9-4. and four. So yeah. uh, to me, it was a very, very close vote, but I would have put Nick Rolovich at the top. I did, uh, and it was nice to see others reward him as well. Some of the other players, uh, Offensive Player of the Year, Josh Love. You don't usually see a quarterback of a team that went 2-6 and six in conference play right. win Offensive Player of the Year, uh, but there, there weren't a ton of high-level candidates. I think the other kind of top candidate was Cole McDonald, the Hawaii quarterback. Mm -hmm. Cole was polled as the starting quarterback at Hawaii late in the season, so that kind of swung me to Josh, even though the record wasn't great. I mean, 5-7 yeah. and seven at San Jose State uh, is really, really good. So uh, an, a lot of nice honors out, but, yeah, really happy to see Rolovich win the award, uh, even though there were, you know, three guys to me who were all equally deserving. Yeah, up next for Hawaii, of course, Boise State in the Mountain West Conference Championship game. And once you get to the title games like that, anything can happen. And we've seen Rolo do some great things with, <laughs> with the guys out on the island. All right, let's go to Nevada and uh, Santa Clara uh, tonight. Uh, like I said, depending on what time you're seeing this show, it's either uh, right before the game or or after. Uh, your three keys and a prediction. Yeah, so my three keys are win the three-point battle. We talked about that at the start of the show, is both these teams are great, and they really dominate the other team from the three-point line, so that's a big one. Uh, limit Santa Clara to one shot. We talked a little bit about uh, Santa Clara is not a very good offensive rebounding team. You can't be giving them second-chance opportunities because they are a really efficient offense. They're almost shooting 50% from the field, so if you're going to give them... Are you shooting shots like that? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> multiple on. looks from the basket, that's going to be a problem. And then good shot selection. I mean, that's really what Coach uh, Alford said uh, about why they were so good in the Paradise Jam and why they shot such a high percentage from threes. They just took good shots. Mm -hmm. So if Nevada takes good shots, I think it's going to have a, a very uh, successful night uh, against this Santa Clara team, which isn't overly athletic, but it has good length. Uh, so those are my three keys. And then I have Nevada winning 79 to 69. I think it's going to be a more up-tempo team uh, game. These mm -hmm. are teams that like to score. They like to run. So I have Nevada winning by 10. Uh, but I could see the Wolfpack losing if they don't play well. I just yeah. feel like Nevada is the better team. And usually I side with the better team. And they've been playing so well of late uh, that I gave them an edge by double digits. I got Nevada 78-71 in this one. I think that they win. And I think that they do cover the six-point spread. Uh, final minute. Cole Hamels to the Atlanta Braves for $18 million. How about a Wednesday better no bet? Uh, I would take it from the Braves. There's no such thing as a bad one-year deal in baseball, really. Mm -hmm. uh, he want, he said he wanted to go to the Phillies. $18 million. Yeah. That's, yeah, what, that's, that's what, jump change in baseball, the, though, these days. That's the crazy thing. Is yeah. If you're an average baseball pitcher, you know, you're going to give a league average ERA, you're going to get about $20 million a year. Jeff Samarjo. Yeah. 
And that's why you play baseball if you have all of the options in front of you because that's where the money is. Once again, Chris is telling you to root for <laughs> and what sports to tell your child to play. I want to thank Joanna McWilliams joining us from Kirkwood. Tomorrow we're going to have Josh Taylor, Wolfpack softball coach, on the show. And, of course, bet or no bet and a recap of Nevada and Santa Clara. For Chris, I'm Brian. Thanks for being with us.